Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Missed you guys last week. Hope you had a great time. A lot of people ask me about the, how, how the cowboy game went that I went to. It was terrible. Stop asking. Uh, tonight is the last normal salt company of the semester. It's the last night that we're going to be teaching through the Bible, and so we're finishing up our series, our short series, through the book of Titus. So if you want to start turning to Titus, that's where we're going to be in Titus 3 tonight. And Paul, as you remember, is writing to his pastor buddy, Titus, this younger man, and he's writing him to set things in order in the church, right? Like some things are kind of whack, like there's some false teaching, there's a lot of sin running rampant in the church, and he's writing him to set it straight. And so far, uh, if you've been following along, most of the ink that has been spilled by Paul has been kind of like addressing problems in the church, right? Like within the walls of the church, this is how life ought to look. But where he ends, and where I'm really excited that he ends this letter, is what Christians are supposed to be like outside the church walls. Okay, and so this is the big idea tonight, guys. It's a little cheesy, just go with it. Like, seriously, just go with it. Trust me, by the end, it'll make sense. The big idea of Titus 3 tonight is that the church should be a kindness factory. Okay, we're talking about how to interact with the rest of the world once you leave places like this. I think what we're going to see after some observation, some study of Titus 3, is that the church should be a kindness factory. Okay, and this is what I mean by that. If you go to a bar, you go out on the weekends, and you come back from the bar, you know you came from a bar because you can hear your feet sticking to the ground. You go to the library, and you come back from the library, and you know you went to the library because your eyes are bloodshot red, you look like a zombie who didn't sleep for the entire night. You go to Kinnick Stadium, you know you went to Kinnick because when you get back from Kinnick, you can't even hear yourself talk because your voice is so hoarse or you're covered in hot dog grease if you work concessions. Uh-huh. But this is what I'm afraid of. This is not hot dog grease. This is actually what I'm afraid of. You come to Salt Company. We come to Salt Company. What actually makes someone know that you came from salt? I'm afraid not much. Okay, Titus 3 is going to clearly instruct us that when you leave the church, your voice should be full of encouragement and love. That when you leave the church, your eyes should be glowing, right? Like with hope and with joy. And when you leave your church, your feet should be sticky with kindness. That didn't make much sense. I wrote a question mark next to that, like, should I even say that? You get the idea, right? You should be able to tell where you've come from. Paul is going to say that how we as Christians ought to act towards outsiders is not just extra icing on the cake for this whole following Jesus thing. It's actually vital to who we are. And my dream, personally, my dream for us, for Salt Company, Iowa City, I think it actually lines up well with this text tonight, is that we would be warm people. That would feel warm in here. That because of what Jesus does here, not because of a show that we put on or us trying to mess with the lights and get all the vibes just right in here, right? But because of what Jesus does here, we would be pumping out kindness left and right. That what God himself produces here in us would be unmissable to this city and to this campus, to the ends of the world. That's my dream for this. And so the church should be a kindness factory 
And if we see just three things tonight, three simple things, this actually could be us, I believe. And so here we go, Titus 3, let's go. I'm just going to read the first couple verses here. Verses 1 through 3 say this. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. The first thing we have to see tonight is this, guys. We have to see what God has asked of you. We have to see what God has asked of you and me. Paul wants Titus to remind the believers, the professing professing Christians in the church, something ironically easy for all of us to forget. That being a Christian actually means something changed in your life. That being a Christian actually means your life will look different from the rest of the world. How so? Well, he reminds them to be submissive to authorities in their lives, to be obedient citizens, to literally be eager, like just chopping at the bit to do good works, to be kind, resisting the urge to fight when you are wronged, to be gentle to the people you agree with. Oh, and probably those who you disagree with the most. What a gut punch, right? For like, oh, even this past couple years, the call of the Christian to be gentle, even with those who disagree with you. And this is what God has asked of us. And I think it could be kind of simply tied a bow on like this. If you are a Christian, a defining characteristic of your life is actually how you treat others. That's simple, right? But specifically he's saying we ought to be living uniquely warm lives, overflowing with love and with kindness. But I want to make a quick distinction. because I'm going to use that word a lot tonight. Talking about kindness. Kindness. Is he just telling us something really soft and weak? Like to be nice. Like when you hear of like a kindness factory, does that remind you of like a Build-A-Bear workshop or something? No. <laughs> like no, he's not telling us to be soft. He's not telling us to be nice. You know the difference between niceness and kindness? About four of you have beards in here and you know exactly what I'm about to say. There's a difference between niceness and kindness. And it happens just about every other meal that I eat. I can tell if you're nice or if you're kind. Because just about every other meal I eat, I get something stuck in my face. Some of you do too. You're eating, and then you got something stuck in your face. Could be bread. Could be a vegetable. Definitely could be like a condiment on a hot dog. Definitely something gets stuck on my face. And I can tell pretty darn quickly if you're nice or if you're kind. Because if you're nice, I go home and I look in the mirror... And I realized I had food on my face, stuck in my beard the entire time that we were hanging out and talking. You were too nice to tell me about it. But if you're kind, I can tell as well. Because you stop me in the whatever the middle I'm saying and you say, hey, dude, I've got to tell you something. You look like a four-year-old right now, the way you're eating. That's kindness. Not afraid to shake things up a little bit, to rock the boat, to do what's best in my interest. Where niceness is more about you, kindness is more concerned with others, right? Like we don't aim at a niceness that is all about saving face for ourselves, but a kindness aimed at saving souls. That's the call of God tonight. 
What do I mean by that? Well, the goal for the Christian showing kindness is not just about you looking good. Like the goal is here is not to make all of us just look like these moral citizens everybody's impressed with. No, God has asked us to be these loving people, these kind people, so that he will ultimately look good. And when God begins to look good, sinners get saved. And Paul's saying, hey, you want to be humbled? Just remember your own story, right? He gets really, really personal here. He reminds all of us of our own failures at treating others and living lives of love. He says, for we too were once foolish. This is a missionary pastor talking about his past. It sweeps all of us up in here. That we, before we knew Jesus, were foolish, disobedient, deceived, slaves to passions and pleasures, right? Like whatever our body wanted to do, we had no resistance. We were slaves to that small freedom. We were living in malice and envy. Hateful, detesting one another, which means hating one another. This is the opposite of somebody from verse 1 and 2 that we are called to be. None of us actually live that high calling when it's left up to us. Like, I don't care how nice we seem. I don't care what kind of face we put on. Kindness, like God is asking of us, can only be from the overflow of your heart, not just a nice uh, personality trait of yours or a nice smile that you got. And what Paul is saying is that we have a massive problem. Our hearts don't naturally pump kindness, right? Right? Our hearts are machines of malice, not love. This is how gross, how heartbreaking, how sad, and how deep sin runs in our lives, right? It even ruins the way we interact with one another. It ruins the way we try and love one another. So, what changed? Like Paul's talking about this for Christians, past tense, what changed? Well, it seems God has asked the impossible of us to be this type of kind person where our hearts won't allow it. When our hearts are wells of selfishness, not overflowing with kindness. And so what had to change was something deeply transformational, right? Deeply transformational, all the way down to the source. And if God has asked you to be this type of soul-saving, radically kind person, know this, that he has not asked anything of you that he has not already done for you. He has not asked one thing of you that he himself is not just willing to do hypothetically, but that he has not already done for you. That's the second thing we're going to see tonight, guys. We've got to see what God has done for you. See what God has done for you. I'm going to read verses four through seven, and I'm going to be honest. I've been waiting to read these verses out loud for a very long time. So buckle up. This is good stuff. Verse four says this, but... When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Amen. If you want to be warm, loving, and kind, transform from your low state of sin and malice that it was talking about earlier, look at this one hopeful word just 
placed right in the middle of this bad news. One word that has the power to break through even the coldest heart in here tonight. Three letters, but. Big but right there. Paul is reminding you or informing you maybe even for the first time exactly how the God of the Bible deals with sinful people. He says first that while we were these verse three type of people, haters of others and haters of even God himself, that's the exact moment when the kindness of God was unleashed on us. What could be more loving than this? What could be more loving than a God who needs absolutely nothing from us? And yet when we meet him with our sin, he meets us with kindness. <laughs> he chooses us by name and he saves us. Notice why he saves us though. It had nothing to do with how good or loving or kind we were. No, it was according to his mercy. Have you ever thought about this? How much mercy God actually has. How deep must his well of mercy be if it is still going to overwhelm the oceans of sin that I have? Man, what I have earned from God what I have earned from God is no doubt in my mind. My conscience testifies this. The Bible confirms this. That what I have earned from God with the way I've lived my life, the way I've treated other people, is separation from God forever. It's isolation. It's punishment. But what I have received from God, guys, is mercy. Mercy. His appearing, his coming near to me and pulling me in close. How close are we talking? Well, by the very person of God taking up residence in my soul. You know, that's what it means to be a Christian. Not just to do all the rules, to make sure your good outweighs your bad, but it's actually when the God of the universe takes up residence in your soul. That's incredible. Our transformation from death to life, from malice to kindness, could only happen this way, that God himself, in his spirit, would come live with us. That he would regenerate, he would reanimate our hearts and our lives. That he would renew us, not making us slightly better people. Like, oh, what a pathetic goal. If Saul come to you, like all about being a little bit better. Like, oh, good, you are cuss a little less, you do a little better in school, you are slightly better. No, he is concerned with making you a brand new creation. New creations that respond to his love for us by simply loving him back so much so that it overflows to love for other people. But you ask, what if I don't have enough God to share with other people? Like, what if I'm still trying to figure this out on my own and I don't have a scarcity mentality? I need just a little bit of God. I'm glad you asked. Hilarious question. Because he answered you in verse six and said, God has poured out his spirit on us abundantly. There's enough to go around. He's a great gift giver. He's lavish and he has poured out his spirit on us abundantly. Can you dream of a more lavish friend? Can you dream of being spoiled by any friend more than this? 
what's fun about the God of the Bible is you don't actually have to dream. <laughs> you don't have to dream because when verse 4 says that uh, this very kindness of God appeared, which is a cool thing to say, verse 6 tells us exactly how that happened. Through the person of Jesus Christ himself. God in the flesh, relentlessly, unstoppably aimed at saving souls. Not worried about being nice and saving face, but giving everything for you and me. Not by being a moral example for us to strive towards, to just become better, but by sacrificing his own body for the sin problem that I brought to the table. Just take a minute. Just stop wherever you're at. Whatever you brought in the room tonight, guys. Whatever struggles you have with sin or even successes that you think you have within the church. Whether you're dominating this Christian walk and you're walking in here pretty proud of yourself or you're just miserable and you're in the dumps, man. Like you're scared to go home. Thanksgiving is hard enough. You can't imagine another month home. Wherever you are tonight, would you just stop at the cross and just look up? Would you consider what is happening when Jesus is being brutally nailed to that piece of wood and he has you in mind? Take a minute at the cross and examine true kindness. This is self-giving love at its finest right here, isn't it? Do you want this? Do you want this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that there could actually be news this good, this so personally directed at you in your pew tonight? Do you believe this? Do you want this? And you say, I do. I do. But Ryan, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the sin that I have. Totally, I don't. I might not want to, let's be real. But Jesus does. Jesus knows now, and Jesus actually knew when he was on the cross, every single shortcoming and sin that you would have. He knew everything, and he followed through. He never quit for you. His kindness was so severe and radical that it led him all the way to the grave. And his power that transforms lives that we're talking about, it actually burst open his very own tomb. And he's here and he's alive tonight, welcoming you into that exact same eternity and that exact same reality that he can destroy your tomb. Do you want this? Because friends, I promise you, will stake my life on this statement that God has more mercy than you have sinned tonight. And that truth is something that you get to enjoy forever. That is a truth, a good reality, a life that you can enjoy forever. How do I know? Well, let verse seven just mess you up for a sec. Let it absolutely wreck you. That if you believe in Jesus, I gotta read it again. So that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Okay, if you believe in Jesus and you trade your sin for his righteousness, not a fair trade at all, I get it, but it's his offer, it's his words, you will be a very churchy word. You will be justified. In other words, God will see you just as if you never sinned. That's not the best translation of justified, 
It's a legal term where the judge says, you know, you are completely innocent. But I remember in high school, just hearing justified, just as if I had never sinned. And it was like a little tongue twister and I liked it. It helps me remember it. Justified. God sees me just as if I had never sinned. That when he sees you, he sees a son. He sees an heir. And what does an heir, a son of the king, get? Friends, they get everything. What Jesus earned, what Jesus deserves, what Jesus is owed is yours. His royal eternity, eternity oh my gosh, eternity belongs to you. It belongs to unkind foolish, hateful, but transformed people. People like me. <laughs> and I hope so desperately tonight, people like you as well. See what God has done for you. Claim that as your own. Plant your flag in the ground and let it overflow in you to do what he asks of you. That you'd be obedient, eager, peaceful, kind, gentle, loving, truly loving, just like your God. Where Paul leaves us in this letter, I think is incredibly practical. It's incredibly fun and exciting in my opinion. Gets me excited. I think when I dream about us becoming, becoming this like kindness factory, a kindness factory that pumps out kindness and changes the city around us. I'm going to be honest, I can get a bit overwhelmed. I'm a bit of a dreamer. Get kind of lost at 10,000 foot in the clouds a little bit. But I get a bit overwhelmed when I hear that because I don't know where to start. I, might, I like, like the idea tonight, but I'm going to be honest, I'm going to forget it very, very quickly. But if we're actually to be this type of people, there's only one more thing we need to see tonight. That could be helpful. And the last thing we're going to see as we finish up Titus 3, so we need to see who God has put right in front of you. See who God has put in front of you. I'm going to read verses 8 all the way down to the end to 15, okay? And it says this. This saying, the good news we were just talking about, is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. There's that word again. These are good, profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law. These are all like religious arguments, right? Because they're unprofitable, they're worthless. Reject a divisive person after first and second warning. For you know that such a person has just gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. And then here's his closing. He says, when I send uh, Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis because I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. There's that word again. For pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All those who are with me send you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. Paul again uses verse 8 here to remind us what we just read 
And hopefully we're just put in awe of in verses four through seven, what Jesus has done for us. This is the gospel. This is the good news and it is our everything. It is trustworthy news that you can bank not just your life on, but your eternity. And we should always talk about it. You should never come here a single week without hearing about the gospel. You should never go to one of your connection groups without hearing about the gospel. It's amazingly applicable. It seasons every single thing we do here. It's the foundation of every single thing we do here. It's the story of the Bible. It doesn't just give you life like a ticket to heaven. It is daily the good news for the Christian. It's the gospel and it is trustworthy. We should talk about it. Why? He says, so that those who believe would, de would devote themselves to good works. Now notice kind of the order of what he's saying here. Not a good works that earn anything from God. You never see that. You never see him talk about doing works to make God happy necessarily. No, nothing to earn from God, but simply to respond to his great work. If you ever see a command to do good works, it should always, 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 in the biblical sense, be a reminder of a great work that was done for you first. That a life that has been transformed by the gospel has no business with earning anything anymore. We have earned what Jesus earned. The gospel is not about earning, but it does produce something in us. A great amount of effort. The gospel is opposed to earning, yes, but the gospel is not opposed to effort. An effort to be outward-facing friends. People who are more concerned with the person in the corner than your very self. An effort to be concerned with the good of others like our God was for us. And we are warned not to be distracted. Don't be distracted, verses 9 through 11 says, by those trying to fight within our church walls. But instead, fulfill God's design for your life by being an agent of kindness and devote your life for the good of others. When I say I dream of this place being like a Titus 3 uh, like kindness factory, this is actually what I mean. That we are so impressed by Jesus that we actually become like him. That we actually live as he would live. That we sit in this gospel of grace and we get so warmed by his kindness that when we leave here, we just radiate with that heat. I want what Jesus does to you to just be contagious, right? Like whatever you receive from his word and his presence, what he does in your soul, I want it to be contagious. And don't think contagious, that's a bad word. Don't think contagious like a virus. Think contagious like laughter. There's some good contagious laughers in here, right? Where are you at? Danielle, good contagious laugh. Camden, pretty good contagious laugh. Sydney Metzger, great contagious laugh. There's all sorts of contagious laughter in here. I'm telling you, would the joy of Christ radiate and be so contagious just like that for us? And our aim is not morality. It's about souls won to Jesus forever because that's actually what we received. That every good work we do is just a response to a great work that God has done already. This is the type of people I want us to become. This is the type of person I just wish I was, right? 
Like, I always wish I was, like, bigger, taller, and, like, just, like, wider, because people love to hug those guys. Nobody wants to hug me for some reason. But I, I don't know what it is. Jeez, you got a lot of O's, right? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to be, like, magnetic and warm, right? And maybe it's not my personality, whatever. But there's something that God could actually do in us that people are magnetized to him inside of us, right? That you might not ever be a hugger, but dang it, you can save souls by the grace of God. I'm going to read this quote that I've been dying to read for a long time, and it finally fit. So this is a book about made by or written by a guy, um, and he's writing here about another guy. So this is what he says, this guy says about this other guy, talking about him, describing this guy. It's like a dream for somebody to read this at my funeral, like a eulogy. This is what Ryan was like. It'd be a miracle. But he says this. It was the knowledge that God is so sunny, so radiant with goodness and love, that he made Sibs, this guy, such an attractive model of God-likeness. For he, Sibs said, those that are led with the Spirit of God, that are like him, they have a communicative, diffusive goodness that loves to spread itself. In other words, knowing God's love, he became loving. And his understanding of who God is transformed him into a man, a preacher, and a writer of magnetic geniality. That amiability shown through his preaching, it still glows from his writings. And looking at his life, oh, this is just beautiful stuff. It is clear that he had quite an extraordinary ability for cultivating warm and lasting friendships. He had become like his God. So how come God has asked you to be an outward-facing, loving agent of kindness? Simply because that's just who he is. And what he has already done for you. But before you leave here with a big guilt trip, I want us to just leave encouraged. I want us to leave feeling the warmth of the Spirit of God on us, that we would just be leaving here, maybe crying for a moment, but smiling through those tears nonetheless. Paul ends his letter, like he does many other places, with a bunch of name drops. Something we usually just skip right over, right? And he doesn't really give any new commands here necessarily, but there's something going on here I, I took notice of when he's name dropping all of his friends, these people that he remembered. That this guy, Paul, had to have known a, so many people. He planted so many churches. He's traveling all the time. And yet he's calling out these people a name and being like, oh, I'm still praying for them. Oh, man, I remember them. Like, there's fond friendship that he is pointing back to here, reminding Titus about how much he loves them. And that's inspiring to me. Because I kind of think this as I read this. That if we want a revival of kindness— in this room that spreads out to our campus. It's actually not about the masses. It's not about that overwhelming 10,000 foot vision of the forest. It's about the person right in front of you. It's not about the masses. It's about the person right in front of you. Almost a hypothetical question, but, or rhetorical question, but do you want to see every sinner on earth saved? Absolutely. What a beautiful thing. Do you want to see Iowa City absolutely lit up with revival this year? Oh man, nothing more than that. 
then friends, it actually starts with the one who God put right in front of you. Heck, maybe even tonight and the person sitting right in front of you in your pew. It starts with the person in front of you. Don't let us strategize so much and dream so big that we actually miss the person that God has placed in our life now. This is practical love in action. That when you come here on Thursday nights, you know there's so many people here who don't know a single person. I know sometimes that's on purpose because it's kind of scary. You want to get in out. I respect that. But you got to find those people. There are people here that aren't in connection groups, that are struggling, that need friendship. Have you met them? I'm saying, if you want to bottom shelf this, you should just meet one person every single Thursday night and try and talk to them for like 30 seconds. I bet something cool will happen. A bottom shelf way to apply this is to just think right now, who's that person that if God saved them in your life, a friend, a family member, if God saved them, if they actually believed this good news of the gospel, that they looked to this kind God and were saved, that would be the greatest miracle in your life. Who is that person? Write them down. Write her down. Pray every day until you have an opportunity to share the gospel with that person. In short, this is how you apply this message. God is kind to you and you receive it over and over and over again. You just gaze at the cross and your jaw just hits the floor over and over and over again. And that's really, really good. But when it comes time to overflow, this is what I would say. The golden rule of creating a place that you want to be is this. If you want it there, you got to bring it. Something we say at Veritas a lot. If you want it there, you got to bring it. If you want Saul coming to be a warmer, kinder, more friendly place where everybody gets talked to, where people are genuinely more concerned with the person across the room than they are with themselves, you got to bring it, man. We can all do that. If this place is ever going to be a kindness factory, for lack of a better term, pumping out kindness, love, and friendships to the very end of the earth and changing Iowa City from the moment you leave this place. It's going to start with you. And it's going to start with the person that God has put right in front of you. I think the question that Paul would leave us here tonight with, guys, is not will you go and change the world with your love and your great dreams? I don't think he would ask that. I think he would ask this. Are you willing, actually willing, as uncomfortable as it may be, are you willing to love that one person that God has put in front of you? Whatever it means. Whether it be helping them physically in their need or sharing the gospel with them and introducing them to the Jesus that you love. I think Jesus would do that. I think he would single out the one. Actually, I know Jesus would. Because he did it for me. And I know he's done that for a lot of you as well. And so guys, by God's grace, by his mercy, according to his mercy, not by any effort that we put forth, but according to his kindness, let's turn this place into a kindness factory. One friend at a time. Let me pray for you.
Jesus, I, uh, I just think the thing that I've wrestled with the most through all of this is that these are really, really pretty words, and it's a really good idea to have a God that's kind. Wow, what a great idea. Well, God, it gets very real when I don't actually want to come before you tonight. And that there is enough sin in my life that I'm embarrassed by that I feel like I need to clean up my act before coming to you. That I'm not actually always sure what it will be like to come before God in my sin. And Lord, if there's anybody else in here who has felt that, that we are unsure of the reception we will get when we come home, oh man, would you just completely blow our expectations out of the water. Jesus would love to have you that he would absolutely love to embrace you tonight. That he does have more mercy than you have sin. Trust him. Test him. And come to him. God, Romans 2, you say that it is your kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. Not to just sweep our sin under the rug and just be nice to us, God, but to look us in the eyes, tell us that we have an eternal sin problem, but you can take care of it because you have killed sin in its power. God, we need help. We are a people who love comfort. I love comfort. I love the people I know. I love my friends who are like me and agree with me, but God, would we hunt the people who are different from us? Make this place a place that is warm with the Spirit of God. Where the Spirit of God is, there it is always summer. Would that be Salt Company? Would that be the dorms that these freshmen go back to? Would that be the house parties that these people throw? Would that be every step into this city, into this downtown that we meet here for? God, turn this place into a kindness factory. By your grace.